This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard for up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello, and welcome to the Republic of Football, a show that is a fan of offenses that were supposed to be developed after 2008. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. Shout out Jimbo Fish from Texas A&M, by the way. Here with me via Zoom is Mike Craven. Mike, how are you doing? You're rocking the Oilers hat today. Doing pretty good, rocking the Oilers hat. Was in Houston over the weekend, so kind of feeling my roots a little bit maybe going into this podcast. I didn't think about that until you just mentioned it, but that could have been uh, one of those, you know, like you wear a color for like what mood you're in subconsciously. Yeah. Maybe I put yeah. on this Oilers hat because I had some Timmy Chance and some Frenchie's chicken over the weekend. <laughs> nice, nice. Also joining us is everyone's favorite Mal pal, Mallory Hartley. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm also feeling my roots a little bit. I uh, went to the North Texas game yesterday, came out yeah. with a dub, so yeah, so we'll, feeling we'll, pretty good. We'll talk more about that one definitely later in. Um, of course, some housekeeping off the top. Uh, I know I met no early on the Wednesday show. We talked about the SMU-UCF game being on Sunday. Well, that got moved to Wednesday, um, so now I don't know how that show is going to go Wednesday. Well, <laughs> because we already previewed the game. We can't talk about the game because it will hadn't happened yet. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Craven will still have a write-up on it, uh, so we'll plug that then. But yeah, uh, just some housekeeping off the top that 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 is now pushed to Wednesday. Uh, they put on ESPN too, which is which is a uh, good. I know ESPN's when the NFL when they can't get NFL on Monday night. I know they're probably looking for content, so I'm happy that they got the national spotlight for that one. So we'll talk about that one probably next Sunday, or you can go read Craven's recap when he puts it up it's Wednesday night. All right. We got some games. We got some headlines. Um, mostly positive this weekend. Mostly. Like if I had to grade everybody on in the full 12, mostly positive results. Um, we. I want to start off with the biggest result, I think, of the weekend by far. TCU 55, Oklahoma 24. Um, look, I'm going to start off with an am I crazy question because <laughs> uh, I was watching this game and – Granted, I should say TCU thoroughly controlled this game. I don't think they would the score would have been this much if Dylan Gabriel has played the whole game. Um, but I do want to give TCU credit that even when he did play, Oklahoma was not looking crisp and was not looking like themselves. Um, but with that being said, Craven, am I crazy to think that TCU should have moved on from Gary Patterson one to two years sooner than they did? No, I mean, I think that's becoming more and more obvious, right, that that Gary Patterson was just at the end of his tenure. We saw the same thing with Matt Brown. This isn't a, a negative thing about these coaches. Gary Patterson's tremendous. He deserves that statue. He's the greatest coach in TCU history. Mm-hmm. And he lasted two or three years longer than he should have. There's a reason at 18 years old, we move out of our parents' house. Sometimes right. you just need a new message, right? And I believe that after 17, 18, 19 years, as he was getting into his second, third decade, uh, at TCU, either as a head coach or, or as a defensive coordinator, both sides have tuned off the other. I, I think the players had tuned out Gary Patterson. I think Gary Pat- Patterson had tuned out the modern players. We're seeing a new energized, excited locker room that's playing inspired football, that's playing fun football, uh, that's playing electric football. The amount of TCU grads and former players I saw you know, talking trash on Twitter was at an all-time high. They're having fun again as a program. They were doing that under Gary Patterson at one time. It's nice to see it again. Max Duggan was awesome. The defense was was great. Um, you know, that's about as good as you can hope to perform against the Oklahoma offense. It's going to put up a lot of points against a lot of people. And to TCU's credit, now Dylan Gabriel was 7 of 16 when he was in there. Mm-hmm. The backup quarterback was the Yeah, he didn't play same. great before. It's 7 of 16, right? The backup was the exact same stat line. So TCU played really, really well. It felt like they could have scored 100. If they wanted to, that offense was tremendous. Garrett Riley, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of a family tie there, right? Like Lincoln yeah. and Gary are brothers. And so yep. you'd imagine there's a conversation during the week of, okay, here's what's left at Norman. Here's where to attack it. Here's where we struggled defensively. Here's some spots that maybe these players on, on the roster uh, struggle against. I'd imagine those conversations were going on behind the scenes. And 
Uh, I know we're a Texas podcast, but it was really fun to see Oklahoma fans get a dose of reality because switching coaches is never easy. Switching and switching rosters. And so they just kind of thought they were going to walk into the season and everything was going to be good. We'll play better defense and our offense will still be great. We're going to go win a big 12. It doesn't work that way. They're starting to figure out how the other half lives. Usually transitions are hard. I think what made it easier for TCU is they've been undergoing this transition behind the scenes for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, we're finally let out of our parents' skirt, you know, and we can go do whatever we want to do. And it feels like a roster that's playing free. Yeah, I agree. I think that you look at that T- TCU game and, the reason why I asked that question off the top is I like Sonny Dykes and Sonny Dykes and Gary Riley are calling an incredible offense and they're calling an incredible game. Um, they've called incredible games thus far. They have not played anybody close, right? This 55, 24 score is flattering to Oklahoma. If we're being honest, but they're not miracle workers, right? They didn't come in and just all of a sudden these guys are good, right? Like these guys, obviously, I think that's why I asked the question off the top because this team had talent. This team had a running, uh, uh, one of the best running back stables in the country. Max Duggan, you know, up and down, but like the past couple of years, you're like, okay, there is somebody there, right? There's some talent there with him and they, whatever, they've unlocked it, right? He had 116 yards rushing last night or yesterday. Uh, one of them, a 67 yard burner. Um, and I mentioned it earlier in the week, Kansas state gave the blueprint on this Oklahoma team, right? Run that inside zone, pull it when you need to, when you're the quarterback and Max Duggan did that early in the game and just torched them. And they, you know, uh, Kendra Miller had 136 yards on 13 carries. Uh, even DeMarcado had 62 yards on eight carries. Like they averaged almost nine yards a carry. Like it was absolute, just a clinical affair. And, yeah this now they get game day right or or kansas gets game day so they go to kansas and that's going to be an incredibly fun matchup we're going to watch two insanely fun offenses go at it um i'm very excited for that game and if you would have told somebody two years ago that hey kansas and tcu are going to be playing to see who the who one of the best teams in the big 12 are um it's it's baffling to me but i think it's you know it's a testament to one the talent on the roster that was there because they didn't import a ton of guys and then it's also a testament to that that coaching staff seeing that and then cultivating that to see what we're doing now so yeah it's been yeah i mean sunny dykes is a transfer portal head coach right and he got to tcu and didn't use the transfer portal over overly much right and i think that's because he got there and, and went Hey, we have, we have some dudes here. Like this mm-hmm. isn't empty. This isn't a rebuild project. This is, this is a really talented roster. He said as much all off season. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's nice to see that bear fruit Two five and O teams, Kansas first TCU game day on the same weekend that A&M and Alabama play, you know, had you had told anybody of that three months ago, four months ago, a month yeah. ago, it would have been insanity, right? You've been, you've been uh, kicked out of the room for being crazy. Um, it's just funny how much college football can change in one month. And the same weekend as uh, the same weekend as Red River too. Like, yeah, we knew that um, one was going to be bad though. Oh, that one's that one's gonna be yeah. That's oh, well, that's gonna be pretty bad. Um, one more thing, I do want to shout out a friend, Joel Anderson, who uh, is very still very skeptical about what who he calls uh, September Sunny. Um, he he says uh, he wants to know if September Sunny's bleeding over into October first uh, with that one yesterday. Which, you know, to his credit. That's been Sonny Dykes' thing, right? Just coming out hot, looking really good. And then kind of as the conference season goes along, not fading, but getting more to the pack. So this October stretch for them is going to be wild. You get Kansas, you get Oklahoma State, you get Kansas State, and then obviously you end with a pretty bad West Virginia. But those next three games, we're going to, you know, we'll see what this Big 12 race is about. So moving on to our other big game of the week, a rematch of the Big 12 title game that ended on one of the best defensive plays uh, I think we've ever seen. Oklahoma State, 36, Baylor, 25. I have that score right, right? Just making sure. Yeah, 36, 25. Okay, so a lot of questions I had in this one. Um, One, Baylor needs to never run the toss sweep ever again um because they ran it in the end zone and Richard Reese was just dogpiled for like three <laughs> like a four yard loss in the end zone for his AP um the other thing is Richard Reese is great and Baylor special teams is a nightmare <laughs> they, Oklahoma State had a kickoff return for a touchdown and then another one that set them up at midfield they capital obviously they scored on one they capitalized on the other put your defense in bad situations and when you're putting your when you're putting your great defense in bad situations against a team that for what we say about Spencer Sanders, he can make plays. 
you're immediately putting your quarterback who you know not at his best when he's probably asked to make some assertive decisions a lot especially with this personnel is the young personnel around him i think they put i think the special teams put themselves in bad situations and you know oklahoma state came out with a little revenge win on the road the good news for Baylor is that they've found some playmakers offensively, and we were worried about that earlier in the year. Richard Reese, as you talked about, has emerged as a start running back. Uh, Monterey Baldwin was fully healthy again yesterday, and we saw that speed. That touchdown pass he had where he mm-hmm. kind of turned the corner and everybody else looked like they were going in slow motion was, in, right. was impressive. Those are the type of playmakers offensively that Baylor needs. For me, it's a lack of playmakers on the defensive side of the ball that mm-hmm. really stood out yesterday. There's no Terrell Bernard. There's no Jalen Petrie. There's no JT Woods. There's nobody over there to go make that play. Like, hey, we're struggling. We're not getting this right. Dylan Doyle said after the game, we knew exactly what they were running. We just didn't stop it. We didn't execute. Last year, I have a hard time believing that's true. They never gave up more than 30 points last year. 30 points against TCU was the most that they gave up last year at all. Even in the loss to Oklahoma State in the regular season, it was only 24 points. This defense not a good as good as last year. And when you lose the turnover battle against Spencer Sanders, you're going to lose to Oklahoma State. They turned mm-hmm. him over seven times in two games against Oklahoma State in 2021. They only turned him over one time yesterday in 2022. To me, that's the difference of the game. Blake Shapin throws two interceptions. As you said, the safety, the kickoff return for the touchdown. Oklahoma State plays a cleaner football game. When yep. you're when you're when you're two bullies like that and you're kind of playing mirror images of each other. The team that plays makes the fewest mistakes is going to win, and that's exactly what happened. Baylor was seven and zero at home last year. They lost their they lost a home game here in the Big Twelve. We'll see how they respond with that. Yeah, I'm. I mean, concerned in the fact that I, you know, I don't think this is a Big Twelve contending Baylor team this year. Um, yeah, I think they've fallen to that next tier of teams because I think we're seeing that. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'd probably, I'd say TCU, Kansas state, Kansas and Oklahoma state. Those are probably, those are teams right now that you look at and say, those are the teams that could probably win the big 12. Yep. Um, obviously it's early. We'll see how the season goes along, but we're starting to get to that point where you have an entire non-conference schedule under your belt. You have a week of conference under your belt. And it's like, okay, we kind of know what these teams are at this point. So unfortunately for Baylor, it prob- I think I'm curious. I, w- I would love to talk to, Aranda or somebody on the staff after the year to see like what was the expectation going in and then what was the like was did you guys were people hyping you up guys up maybe and you guys were like oh this is going to be kind of a, a reset or was it is it kind of disappointing to be like ah yeah we thought some of these guys would click a little bit better we thought Blake Shapin would probably hit the ground running like he did uh similar to last year or what um because I wonder I'm starting to wonder if the I think the ceiling of the offense is higher with Blake Shapin, but I wonder if naming him naming him outright in the spring was more of a, well, we're probably not going to be up there like we were last year. So we might as well just roll with him and keep him going, right? As opposed to going with Bannon and maybe going with a more experienced arm. So, And that Baylor offense was never great last year. Sure, yeah. You know, they won games with a great defense, gritty, didn't make a lot of mistakes, played great special teams. Yep. They're not doing those things this year. I think the offense is as good, if not better, this year um, mm-hmm. so far. If you just look at raw numbers, uh, but the defense just is not as as explosive. Does not make as many plays, uh, and and they're making more mistakes. They're turning the ball over uh, more, and the special teams isn't playing well. They're not playing. They're losing in the margins, and they won all of those games last year because they played such clean, great football. This year is starting to slip more to 50-50 coin flip because they're not playing as clean. Sure. All right, moving on to our last headline game. Um, oh, my goodness. This is uh, – what else can you say about this team? They scored uh, 24 points in the second half-ish. 24. Mississippi State, 42. Texas A&M, 24. I feel sorry for anybody who watched all of this game. Uh, this offense is god-awful. It's – I want to give a little bit more credit to even Zach Calzada. That's where this offense is now. Where I'm looking at last year's offense, you're like, you remember when they kind of did stuff? <laughs> like, remember when, like, they just kind of, like, did something against Alabama and, like, did something? Like, they weren't great last year, right? I think it makes Kellen Mond look like a damn Heisman winner at this point. But even now I'm looking at last year's offense, you're like, I, I saw something, right? Like, I saw, like, concept, <laughs> I don't think Zach Calzada was good enough to execute the concept, but I saw some stuff attempted. I'm going to, I'm going to, I have another, am I crazy? And Craven, I want you to be very honest with our Aggie faithful here. 
am I crazy to think that there's not a game on this schedule that a that AM could lose? Like they could absolutely lose the rest of these games. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, that's I'm not the saying they're going to, but sure. like Mississippi State is not one of the SEC, but well, Grant, let me correct. They throw they have UMass in there. So okay, fine. They'll beat UMass, right? Conference-wise. Mississippi State's not one of the up there, right? And you're getting your butt kicked by Mississippi State. Now I look at it as like, I don't, what's the floor for this team in the conference if they're getting blown out by Mississippi State? I think they could beat South Carolina. I think that's it. I think they, no, I no, think you can pencil I think they in could, there. Right? I'm saying like. They could, saying there's like potential this, to lose there. Right? right. I was about to say, there's now potential to lose. Every, I could look at every game as like, I don't know, they could lose that. Like. Last year, you were like, ah, there's talent. They're not going to lose X, Y, and Z, right? They're not going to lose to this. They're not going to lose to this. I mean, again, they might scrape their way to a bowl, you know, whatever. But, like, it, actually, they will because it's they only need three wins. So, I think they will go to a bowl. It's going to be fine, but fine in that regard. Um, but now I look at the schedule, and I'm like, they could, like, realistically, it's like every week we're going to be like, oh, I don't know. A&M could, they could drop this one. <laughs> six and six feels about as good as it could get. Right. You know, the three wins left on their schedule are South Carolina, Auburn, UMass. Mm -hmm. You know, if they lose one of those three games, it's hard to find another one, you know, because other than that, it's Alabama, Ole Miss, Florida, LSU. And LSU looks a lot better than any of us thought they were going to be in year one under Brian Kelly. Shout out to yep. them, I guess, because yep. that's been pretty impressive, actually, what LSU has done uh, with, under Brian Kelly through year one. So for me, I mean, we're, we're at the same place we've been the last couple of weeks. Jimbo and I and I'm starting to see more big and big sports writers kind of write this stuff. I think Brent Zimmerman at the Houston Chronicle wrote this exact same thing today that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Jimbo Fisher, the recruiter, Jimbo Fisher, the builder, Jimbo Fisher, the head coach. Fine. Mm -hmm. Good, good, good head coach. Good yeah. recruiter. All Jimbo Fisher, offensive play caller, offensive coordinator. Not good. Got to throw that out. Got to throw it. Got to throw it out. Will it happen? That's that's to me. That's the biggest question of this A&M program honestly yep. this is who a&m is as long as jimbo fisher runs the offense they will never be above an eight and four nine and three football team in the sec with that offense you can go six and six if the quarterback play isn't good just right away and right. so they're gonna have to figure that out they were shut out in the, in the first half against mississippi state they were able to score uh, 24 points in the second half we'll see uh, what max johnson's health is like if haynes king is back as a starter moving forward, what that kind of offers the offense, maybe his legs and just playmaking ability, uh, allow them something. He's going to make a few more mistakes, but at this point, you got to figure something out. Max Johnson, Bob Stern had this up uh, on Twitter. Max Johnson didn't throw a pass over, didn't complete a pass over 15 yards vertically in his three starts. They had some short passes that ended up being over 15 yards after the catch. They mm -hmm. didn't have a in the air throw completion over 15 yards and three starts with Max Johnson. That's not all Max Johnson. I, he did that at LSU. I mean, not prolifically, but mm -hmm. he can push the ball down the field a little bit better than that. That's just who A&M's offense are, is, and it's who the weapons are. They don't have any threats without Aniah Smith down there. Right. They just don't. Like, Evan Stewart's just not that guy yet. He hasn't been an Xavier Worthy type, type freshman wide receiver. Uh, Moose Muhammad's fine. He had a good game yesterday, if you look at the stat line. But a lot of that's late when you have a big lead and you're playing prevent defense. And so uh, A&M is not explosive. It cannot just be Devin A. Chain versus everybody. The SEC is too good for that. Other score too many points. We talked about it on the Wednesday show. What number did Mississippi State have to score to where A&M had no chance? And I said it was 27, and that was it. As soon as they yeah. got, as soon as they got, got to 27, it was over. And mm -hmm. it looked that way from the the whole. It's almost like watching Iowa in a way, which is crazy when you think about the amount of talent. And the offensive like weapons and the offense that is ran in high school in Texas, and all these guys show up pretty ready made to run offense. And AM's system is so archaic and so complicated that these young guys just can't pick it up quickly. And you see these kind of transition years where you can't just iron over the mistakes and score some points to be eight and four, nine and three. The bottom falls out. And when you're making $10 million a year, the bottom should never fall out. It doesn't fall out at Georgia, it doesn't fall out at Alabama, it didn't fall out under. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, like those guys that you're peers of, it doesn't happen there. So it shouldn't happen at AM, and it is. Yeah. I was watching the, um, well, to, to your point about it, he needs to obviously change the offense or change the play calling, whatever. Here's why I don't think he will do it because now 
now's the time to at least see what you got on your own staff, right? Like yeah. I, if it, so to me, you have Daryl Dickey. I'm not saying he's a prolific play caller, but you have somebody who's ex- a veteran coach who's experienced calling plays. You have James Coley, who was Kirby Smart's, one of his first defensive uh, offensive coordinators at Georgia. You have two guys there. You have Damian Craig, who's supposedly an emerging quarterback coach, right? So like, I'm not saying he's ready to call plays, but like you have two legitimate options and then one potential option that like, I'm not saying things change and things explode or whatever, but at least you would know like, okay, we got somebody on our staff that can kind of do something, right? So why not go ahead and do that right now? Well, that's, that's I, what I'm saying. I don't, because the problem isn't the plays being called. The problem is the playbook. Fair. And you, and you, can't, okay. you can't switch the playbook. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like anybody right. could go call those play. It's the playbook that's the problem. It's too complicated. It's too thick. There's too mm. much install. There's just too much. Just yeah. throw it out. It right. needs to be half the size, a third of the size. I've had coaches tell me they install more on day one at A&M than they install at their colleges all year. Mm-hmm. Because it's not what the coach knows, it's what the players know. And yeah. nowadays, offenses are getting simpler and simpler, even at the NFL level. They're not, you mm-hmm. know, what we used to think of as an NFL offense doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. NFL offense is just a college offense. Right. That's why Cliff Kingsbury is a head coach. And yeah. so, uh, Jimbo's just outdated. He's, he's running around with a 10 pound playbook when it only needs to be a pound. And so until they can throw all of that out, there's not much that a, that a new play caller can do in my opinion. Yeah. I think one of the biggest indications of that is, or indictments, I should say of that is the fact that Max Johnson is the guy and it doesn't look like they're going to anybody else. Right. They have a Connor Wigman who is a raw talent player five-star quarterback you covered him you you watched his recruitment a little bit too stud right obviously raw tools right he's, he's a he's kind of he's a dual sport athlete so he's not exactly the most polished quarterback but to your point if you have that kind of quarterback you should be running an offense to where eventually this year he feel you feel like you can put him in right you look at Haynes King Haynes King is not a world he's probably not gonna be a world beater at college right he was great at Longview okay sure he's probably not gonna be maybe what we thought but it wouldn't shock me if he went to a UTSA, if he went to UNT, he went somewhere else and lit it up because he's somebody who ran a very, not, again, I don't want to put it as a pejorative, but a very simple offense, right? Somebody that could, you should be able to plug him in. He's an athlete. He's the one of the, what, who said that uh, he could win like a sprint with versus like any, besides like uh, the only person he probably couldn't beat is like Devon Chain in like a yeah. sprint on the team. If you lined up the AM football team and had them run a hundred yard sprint, he's finishing third or fourth right and it's like how is that offense not geared around that right like and so to your point the fact that they looked at max johnson was like yeah it's the best we can do it's like no it's not like no it's not you have talented quarterbacks around him you just need a guy who can kind of do the pedestrian stuff pretty well and that's it so uh, yeah it blows my mind um jimbo fisher still makes his the ball with two hands right by the right ear. I was about to say, yeah, when when Kellen when he got there and I saw Kellen Mond doing that, I was like, that looks unnatural for him. Like it just does. It is unnatural. Yeah. You can't go be a playmaker when you're like worried about how you're holding the ball and stuff like right. you know, like they're yeah. just things that are outdated. They're things that like my dad used to talk about with offensive football that just don't matter anymore. You know, right. like and so AM's just caught in that in that moment. It, it's in the year, so it's too late to do anything about it. At this point, you just have to survive. You just have to get to six wins, seven wins. Hope your recruiting class stays intact. Hope that 2022 class stays on campus and just prepare to go into 2023 with a different offensive mindset and just see where the the chips lie there because this is still the fifth most talented roster in college football, and it's only going to get more talented, right? Because a lot of that's the 2022 roster. As those guys grow up, if they stay, A&M's a top five team in the nation on paper, blue chip ratio-wise. They're just not explosive. They're just not. If Steve Sarkeesian is the offensive coordinator there, are we having these conversations with Texas A&M? I know Steve Sarkeesian is not available to be hired as an offensive coordinator, but you go get somebody like that. You go get what Nick Saban's done. If Jimbo Fisher wants to be seen as the Nick Saban type coach, he will put his ego to the side and go get an offensive caller, play caller in the offseason. If he doesn't, this is who it's going to be. Yeah, I'm just going to Google a name really quick. What is Joe Brady doing right now? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the guy. Coach. He's a quarterback's coach for the Bills. Go yep. get Joe Brady. I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> Go get Joe Brady, please. All yeah. right. Pay, pay two less recruits. Give them, <laughs> give them the Joe Brady money, you know, and then just go run some offense. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Uh, 
if AM fans want any uh solace, uh, you're not getting it. You got Bama next week. So yeah, um, good luck. Yeah. Even if Bryce Young doesn't play, it looks like Jalen Milrow is just ready to go right now. So uh yeah, they're gonna try to hang so much on y'all. Sorry, sorry, I gave <laughs> they were still mad about last week, last year. All right, let's get to the power poll. Let's start with some positivity at the bottom. North Texas 45, FAU 28. Mallory, I got to admit, I, I got really terrified because I saw that they were up 28-7, and then I blinked, and it was 28-21, <laughs> and I was like, you and me both. do not do this. <laughs> My heart kind of dropped a little bit. Yeah, this was a, this was a, they needed to win this game, and they needed to win it big, too, um, and they did. Uh, however, it was close. Like, I think at one point in the third quarter, it was only, I think North Texas was only up by seven, so that was is a little terrifying. Um, I was excited. We saw more of that running attack that we knew that we could uh, 300 yards on the ground, four different running backs with uh, different touches, which was very exciting. A couple running backs were able to line up in the wildcat too. So we got to see a little bit of that. Um, Ani threw another pick six, <clears throat> which I was, I was a little disappointed at. Um, but at the same time, I think at this point, you kind of just have to expect that, you know, and you, and, and, not in like a, in a disappointed way, but like, you just have to expect him to make some mistakes right now. If they can shake that off fine, but it gets to the point where like we saw in the the Memphis game where it just became too much, those turnovers, you know, but if they can overcome those turnovers, I think it's, it's just kind of what you have to expect from Austin Ani. Um, they only had 181 yards through the air, which is fine with me. Uh, Jair Shorter emerged last night with three touchdowns uh, off only three catches. So that was pretty exciting. Um, but overall, I think that this was a this was a really good win for North Texas. Um, I really, really, really like seeing that running attack more prevalent in the offense last night. Um, so hopefully that's the game plan that they go in with the rest of the conference with. Sure. When I watch Noah Texas play, it reminds me why there's weight classes and in, in fighting. Yeah. You know, like when they play against their own weight class in Conference USA, North Texas, pretty solid football team. 300 mm-hmm. yards rushing on 51 carries. They've outscored their two Conference USA opponents 76 to 4 year. They're 2 0 in conference play. It's when they play above their weight, they just, they just can't hang. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't do anything to upset anybody. They don't do yeah, anything. Yeah, they, they resort anybody. to that passing attack. Right. Well, because you have to, right? Yeah. You're not going to run. You, you can't run the ball over a team that's yeah. bigger, better, and faster, stronger than you are. You know, you have to get a little creative, and, and that's just not what Austinani is comfortable doing. But when they can line up and pound you in the face and play some solid defense, North Texas is pretty good. Um, and so I, I think they're going to get, like we talked about last week, and they were three point underdog in this game. Yeah, uh, and they went out and pretty much dominated it. You know, you take away a couple of their own mistakes, and they pretty much dominated this game. I think North Texas is fine. I think they're on pace to get to six, seven wins this year. The big question becomes, is that enough? Is that, is that enough for this fan base? Is that, is that not enough for this fan base? They struggled a lot against American competition and non-conference that they're going to play again next or play next year. Um, so to me, it's just kind of interesting. They're an okay Conference USA team. They're going to be middle of the pack Conference USA team. What does that mean moving forward for the mean green? I, I have no idea. It's going to be interesting to watch unfold because they're not going to go three and nine and make this thing easy for everybody. Right. No. And so, you know, what are the expectations in North Texas? What does the admin think the mean green can be in the American? I think we find that out in terms of like the coaching stuff moving forward. Sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, they get, <clears throat> they get a bye week a much needed bye week now uh, before they play La Tech, which another winnable game, like you mentioned, um, because then they got a pretty tough road with at UTSA and then at Western Kentucky to end October. Um, yeah, they're not gonna make it easy, but I, I, mean, I remember saying like this game, the only way they're going to lose this game, in my opinion, was if Nikosi Perry had a great game. He didn't, they made him turn over the ball. He barely completed over 50% of his passes. Like FAU was one of those teams that you had to be able to say that you were better than, and they thoroughly did. All right, moving on to, oh my God, the East coast curse is over. UTEP 41, Charlotte 35. Shout out to, hold on, let me get this, let me get, let me, I want to name the person, Jadrian Taylor, a hundred yard fumble scoop and score, put this game on ice, it was 41-21 after that, UTEP beat Charlotte, like, like, that's, that was awesome, that was an awesome, awesome game from them, Um, again, it's very, it was a very UTEP game in that it wasn't pretty, 
right? Um, but they got it done, and they had some explosive plays. They had a great defensive play. Um, I believe they had a, a – I think Tyrese Knight had another fumble recovery too. They forced turnovers. They made things uncomfortable for a Charlotte team that we were hoping that they were much better than, and they were, man. It was a much-needed win on the East Coast. They finally did it. <laughs> They tried to give it away a couple of times. They would build it kind of like, kind of like North, North Texas, right? They kind of build up this big lead. And then you look back and it's like, oh man, this is only a four point game. And they build up the big lead again. And they're like, oh right. no, it's, it's only a four point lead. So they tried, you know, the clock almost struck midnight on them a couple of times out there on the East coast. But like you said, they broke the streak. They played really well defensively. That front seven was finally, they finally made the plays that we thought they were going to make. They got to the quarterback. They, they caused some fumbles. They made some big plays. The offense looks better and better the the less that they rely on the vertical passing game. I think it's finally dawned on that offensive staff that we don't have the targets we had last year. We're going to maybe rein this thing in. Um, the over hit that was nice. That was a yeah. that was a fun thing. That thing hit in the third quarter. I was about to say that thing hit way over. Yeah, so that that was enjoyable. And, and now all of a sudden, UTEP's three and three, one and one in the conference, and their next game is La Tech. Then they get a bye week, and then it's FAU. You know, five and three is not out of the question. That, that sure. six win bowl, you know, get back to a bowl game is right there again for the Miners. And after the New Mexico, after the New Mexico loss, that seemed impossible. Right. And so shout out to Dana Dimmel, that staff and those players in the locker room for, you know, kind of having like a come to Jesus moment, rallying together, having a team meeting and going, we're not going to let this thing get away from us because this could have very easily snowballed into like a ten and, two and 10 type season. For UTEP, it probably would have in years past. So good on them for showing that they're, you know, they're capable of overcoming some adversity and getting back on track. Yep. Deion Hankins, 20 carries for 112. <clears throat> Ronald Awad, 13 carries for 88. They finished with over 250 on the ground. Here is the key to the game. Mike Craven, I'm going to rattle you off these stats in wins and losses. Lo granted, Oklahoma's in there, so but I'm still going to count it just because it goes with my point. Uh, <laughs> North Texas lost. Gavin Hardison, 293 through the air. Oklahoma lost Gavin Hardison 244 through the air. New Mexico State win Gavin Hardison 153 through the air. New Mexico lost Gavin Hardison 280 through the air. The last two weeks, Gavin Hardison 123, 173. You don't need to air it out with him. You do not need to. He does not have the weapons this year. It is fine. You have a guy who can manage. He finished what 10 of 14 yesterday. It's fine. You have a guy who's not going to lose you the game if you don't put him in those situations where he feels like he has to stretch the field. I know that's easy to do when you're controlling the game and, you know, you're probably still working with your plan A and your game, the game stays in your favor. But, hey, that's how you have to win games with this year. <laughs> like, you have to be able to play that style. And if you get into a track meet and you have to throw the, okay, then maybe that way. But plan A, <laughs> make sure you're just physical and your defense is allowing you to, to kind of make some plays the again i know they scored 35 but uh, you know the defense was able to make some plays and, and score a couple touchdowns touchdown for you and get the ball back and put your offense in good situations you're good enough to win that way so yeah i mean hardison threw over 40 attempts in that loss against new mexico he's 20 of 25 combined the last two weeks that's it man that's, that's it. it like yeah all right, moving on. Oh, God. All right, to the new bottom team in the power poll. Uh, James Madison, 40, Texas State, 13. I got nothing on this one. Um, there's literally nothing more I can say. Actually, no, there is. I do not know how Lane Hatcher beat out Brady McBride straight up to where Brady McBride was gone in the spring. I'm sorry. I don't, like, I've heard people say, question the play calling, question the offense and all that, which is fine. Watching these two quarterbacks now, I saw what made Brady McBride frustrating. The reason why I bring him up is because he finally got, he got in the game for App State yesterday. They were beating somebody by like however many touchdowns. But when you saw Brady McBride, you at least saw somebody who had like that wild card factor, right? You were like, oh man, he's going to try. He might throw three picks. He'd also throw four touchdowns, right? He's going to try to make some stuff happen. Lane Hatcher is so, and again, I don't know if this is the play calling. He feels so restrictive in what he does. And I, it blows my mind how he was just like nailed on the starter to where McBride was gone by the end of spring camp. I, I don't see it because I have not seen it from him. I have not seen the theoretically the, the veteran starting quarterback that you got from an in-conference rival. I don't know. So I'd expect him to win this game. So I'm not going to try to act like this was disappointing at all. Um, James Madison's kicking everybody's butt in uh, the Sun Belt. They are probably 4-0 right now. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, it's again, I talked about on the pre preview show, this is the standard for <clears throat> how you transition properly from FCS to FBS. You <laughs> cultivate a dominating dynasty and then you move up and they're going to kick butt because Virginia beach is like a very fertile talent area. So, yeah. Don't worry, Bobcats app state up next. <sighs> they might actually bring me, Brian might actually play again <laughs> against his whole team. So, all right, back to the positivity. Rice, let me get this home. Let me make sure I got the score right now. Uh, oh, geez, I had the score. Now I don't have it anymore. 28-24. 28-24 over UAB. UAB was up 17-7 to at one point in the third quarter. And it kind of switched on this weird fumbles, scoop and score that like everybody stopped playing except for the one Rice guy who picked it up <laughs> and scored. Um, it's kind of it's a really frustrating way for UAB to lose uh, if I was them because like literally Rice stopped playing, everybody stopped playing except the guy that picked up the fumble and just like they took the lead and that was based not basically the game they had to exchange a couple more scores but like that's what flipped the game for Rice. Um, I didn't I don't have the name of the player who did that but it was just like one of those like. It reminded me of the national championship uh, um, Auburn-Oregon game yeah. where everybody thought, um, I forgot the running back's name was down. Everybody stopped. He spun around, scored. He was like, oh, okay, well, there's the there's the game right there. So, I don't know. Right. Sky's the limit, man. I don't, know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you anymore. You guys are really good. Treshawn Chamberlain is the guy who uh, yes. returned, returned that uh, fumble for a touchdown. Um, yeah, outscored. UAB 21 to seven in the second half beat them at their own game. We talked about this on the Wednesday show. This is kind of a, you know, you look at the other side and you go goals, right? If you're rice, UAB right, is right. kind of the team that you're, you're, you're mirror imaging in conference USA. They've beat them two years in a row now. And the reason that they beat them two years in a row is because they're playing cleaner football. They don't commit as many penalties. They don't mm -hmm. commit as many turnovers. Um, they don't beat themselves. That's what rice yep. is doing right now. TJ McMahon isn't playing excellent, but he's reigning in his mistakes. And that's really helped the Owls a lot. Um, they're at three and two right now. Um, just it's just impressive for Mike Bloomgren's team. Um, two uh, two and zero in conference play, or no one and zero, one and zero in conference play. Uh, beat Louisiana, so um, looking good. And then you know you look at the schedule going forward, and their upcoming games are FAU, La Tech, Charlotte. They could they be could at that's three wins. wins. That, that could be they, three wins right there. They can be bowl eligible by the end of October. Yeah. This team had a three and a half win over and over total in Vegas going into yeah. the year. They had, you know, like this is this is pretty impressive uh, for the Owls. They're trying to do something that they haven't done since 2014. Yep. All righty, moving on in the power poll. Uh, SME, we talked about they'll play on Wednesday. All right, let's get to the game. Craven was at this week uh, on Friday. Oh, boy. Okay. Houston, or Tulane, sorry, 27. Houston, 24. In overtime, um, Craven, what was the bigger red flag? The fact that they lost to a third-string quarterback, the fact that they thought they could take the ball first in overtime and win, the fact that they couldn't move the ball at all. What was the, what was the biggest red flag for you from this Houston team? I'm fine with the taking the ball first in overtime. As a soccer analytics person, you know, you always want the penalty kick first. Like sure. Holgerson's data-driven on that. He'll, he'll open up a binder and show you how statistically it's smarter. Um, to take it first he did the same thing against UTSA and they won that game so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hurt him too much on that one but overall the trajectory of this program's not great you know you that 12 and 2 season last year covered up a lot of black eyes over the previous couple of years he's now 21 and 18 overall and 13 and 10 in AAC play since he's gotten to Houston right um, they're not that great under him right I mean they didn't have you know, major Applewhite got fired for a lot less or for a lot more, I get, you know, like he, he you know, he went to, he, they never had a losing season under Applewhite. They're looking at their third and fourth in four years. If they don't turn this one around in Houston, um, expectations matter a lot when we break down teams. The fact that this is so disappointing is because of how big the expectations were going into 2022. And as you transition into the big 12, this was the last thing that you needed if you were the Cougars in terms of recruiting and just fan output. I was there on Friday night. I know 6 p.m. games in Houston when the Astros are playing in town is a tough ask. Mm -hmm. There was maybe 12,000 people there, maybe. And so you flash forward to next year when they're in the Big 12. If Oklahoma's in town, if Texas is in town, Texas Tech even is in town, 
TDECU Stadium is going to be the vast majority road fans versus home fans. That's not a good look for this program, for Holgerson. And they're going to have to look in the mirror and see, okay, what is our ripcord on this Dana Holgerson thing? Like, is there a bottom here or are we riding him into the Big 12 and we're going to see what happens once he gets into a conference that he's more familiar with? I thought that they had turned a corner last year and that we were kind of done with the, is Holgerson the right guy in Houston? I, I thought that was kind of done and dusted, but you know, two and three right now, those two wins weren't impressive. Triple overtime against UTSA, only seven points against a Rice team that does look pretty good, but still Houston should be beating them pretty easily. Not a good time right now in third ward. Not a good time. Doug Belt's defense also struggling. It's not just all offensively, but Clayton Toon and that passing attack has taken a monster step back. They turn. They make a lot of penalties. The offensive line's not very good. They don't have a star running back. Just not a lot to hold on to if you're Houston in terms of hope. Yeah, you thought, you know, Brandon Campbell was going to play or played, and you were like, okay, there's something that could potentially help. Um, you found We found out that Pratt wasn't going to play for Tulane, and then Justin Ibieta goes out their second string, and you're like, all right, here comes, you know, Pratt of Carthage, uh, Kai Horton, who I always thought that was a weird fit for him, but he looked pretty good and it's like oh man you guys are letting a third string quarterback beat you still like I think Kai Horton's a good quarterback I think he might transfer after this year because I really do think he's too good to be a third string but a third string quarterback's a third string quarterback man like the fact that they were fine and moving the ball and the one the offense couldn't make it to where Kai Horton had to push the ball right like Houston if, if you're Houston's offense clicking on all cylinders you should be able to put some distance between you to where you're making this sophomore quarterback throw the ball 30 times right he only had to throw the ball 21 times and they were thoroughly in this game so yeah i i'm with you i don't know where that ripcord is i don't know if they're even looking at it right now because of the financial commitment to him um i don't know i don't know i know they've had facility upgrades and all that stuff so like i don't know what their financial situation is with tillman fertita um because then you obviously have to pay dana you have to go get a new coach i think he's i, I mean i think he's at least there through their first year of the big 12 um just because of financially i don't know if they could do that um it's not like a you know we talk about unt where it's like set the trail would go into his last year next year so it's like you never have a coach they have the decisions being made for them right calendar wise with that dana holgerson is still very much in the middle of this contract so yeah it's not a decision that's going to be made very easily I mean, they they gave up as many points as an offense as they scored through the first three quarters. You know, Clayton Toon's fumble got returned back for a touchdown. They'd only come up with one score, you know, and that goes into overtime. It's, it's just not great. I mean, they had 28 yards after the catch on 14 completions going into the fourth quarter. They mm -hmm. just don't make any plays. Like, nothing comes easy for that offense. They don't have ultimate Caskill to go make a big play in the running game. Nathaniel Dell's getting bracketed and double teamed, and they just don't have another guy to go out there and do anything. Everything's hard offensively, and it's always a bad sign when your team is struggling on the side of the football that your head coach is known for. Yes. That's why it's so unnerving in AM that it's the offense that's doing this. That's why it should be so unnerving in Houston that the offense is doing this. This is what Dana Holgerson's known for. He has a six-year senior quarterback who played excellent last year, and they just can't figure it out. They just, they just can't figure it out. Yep. Moving on to the power pole, meet, meet. UTSA 45, Middle Tennessee 30. I mean, damn. <laughs> uh, Frank Harris did become the all-time leading passer, I believe, in UTSA, right? If I'm yeah. if I have that correct. Yeah. So, you know, congrats to him. 414 through the air, two picks or three picks, uh, two touchdowns. But man, we uh, Mallory said this will be pointsy, and damn, this is pointsy. <laughs> I'm gonna read you the three top receivers for UTSA stat lines through the first five games of the season, just for everybody's sake. Go for it. JT Clark, 35 catches, 556 yards, six touchdowns. Joshua Cephas, 36 catches, 503 yards, two touchdowns. Zachary Franklin, 37 catches, 491 yards, six touchdowns. UTSA Balance. basically has three wide receivers averaging 100 yards a catch. And if injuries don't happen, they're going to have three wide receivers with over 1,000 yards receiving. Balance, baby. <laughs> that is some balance right there. I don't know how good the UTSA defense is, but it doesn't matter all that much. They're going to really score doesn't. 40 something points a game. They're, they just need their defense to bend, don't break, cause a couple turnovers, steal a couple possessions, and we're going to go win this one. Frank Harris is awesome. Just, yeah. just absolutely awesome. I'm embarrassed that I don't have him as one of the top two All State quarterbacks uh, going into the year. That was a, that was a bad miss. <laughs> that was a bad miss on my part. Uh, looking back on that one. 
Um, he was the, the, you know, all Texas offensive player of the year last year. And he's looking like he's on pace to do the exact same thing this year. He's been just absolutely outstanding. And we've talked about it on this podcast before you go back three or four years ago, and that wasn't a guaranteed thing. This wasn't, this wasn't what Frank Harris was known for. He almost had to give up football for injuries and he's just become an excellent passer. That's on the second coordinator in two years and hasn't missed a beat. Yep, and now they they beat a Middle Tennessee team coming off their biggest win probably in program history, recent program history over Miami. And on the road, too, now they go to play Western Kentucky, which probably is going to be a hell of a game, um, even though they're coming off a loss to Troy. But still, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, man, you. I mean, what? You, it's nothing more we can say about this team. They're so well coached, so crisp. Even when they make mistakes like Frank Harris did, it doesn't matter because they're good enough to overcome them. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, their – they're the favorite in Conference USA easily, easily right now. Moving on in the power poll to our late night game. We had Texas 38, West Virginia 20. It was not this close um, at all. <laughs> this game was over very, very early. Western one, let me get it out of the way. West Virginia stinks. They're, they're really bad. Um, but Texas made sure that there was no room for them to operate. They looked really crisp on offense. Um I was a little surprised that they, it was announced earlier in the week that Quinn Ewers wasn't going to play, but I thought he would at least get in the game, which he, you know, didn't do. Uh, Hudson Card played the whole game, had played really well. Um, one of his other, outside of last week, I thought his other best game probably in a Texas uniform. Um, Bajan Robinson, clean 100 yards. Uh, Jatavian Sanders had five catches, almost 80 yards, two scores. Xavier Worthy was explosive. Um, defense looked excellent. Again, I mentioned West Virginia did not have room to breathe. JT Tanners looked awful um yeah i mean this is this is the tune-up game you needed as opposed to what oklahoma got going into red river right this is the let your guys make plays let's see xavier worthy be that dude see jatavian sanders be that dude and i i don't know like it's do you start hudson card against oklahoma probably yeah probably i mean i think he's played well enough to earn it especially if quinn's not 100 percent. like if that shoulder's still bothering him and you think a bad hit or landing on it wrong is going to cause it uh, to be injured again and him not last the whole game i think yeah. you do see you do let hudson start and see kind of where the game goes maybe you win this one pretty easily dylan gabriel may not be available um you know maybe you just ride that out and have quinn as kind of a break glass in case of emergency type player there on your sideline uh, for me, uh, an impressive thing, you know, West Virginia only averaged 5.3 yards in attempt. Yeah. You know, for reference, Texas was at 12, you know, so a much more explosive offense for Texas. The defensive line got home a few times to create sacks. That'll be big going into the Red River game next week. Let's talk about Jatavion Sanders for a while. Five-star kid that everybody assumed would be a defensive end. A lot of people bashed him for wanting to play on offense. What are you going to do? You've never played tight end before. You're not fast enough to play wide receiver. Uh, blah, 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 blah. He's going to be the first tight end drafted out of Texas since 2015 when he's eligible after next year. That tight end position last year had 32 catches as a whole in 12 games. He's already at 20. Yeah. He's added a level and a layer of playmaking in the middle of the field that Texas just did not have last year with Isaiah Nayor uh, getting injured in preseason and missing the whole year. They needed a third option next to Worthy and Whittington. Sanders has become that third option. Uh, with your backup quarterback, a guy who's not excellent at pushing the ball down the field, tight end becomes even more important. He's become a safety blanket for Hudson Card. I'd imagine those two played a lot on the practice team and the second mm -hmm. team last year in 2021 when, when JT was redshirting at tight end because Jeff Banks told me that he couldn't even get into a three-point stance when he first got to Texas. Now that I mean, like, I mean, like, it's weird because, you know, he played – edge rush so like he stood up he was a stand-up edge rusher didn't run and then he played receiver so like he never had to <laughs> so like that is wild but looking he didn't back know how to block it, he didn't know how to block he didn't know how to line up in line he didn't know how to because the three-point stance is a little different from a tight end than it is a d end even if you sure. are getting into a three-point stance so there was just it was just a, a point to show like how far he needed to go yeah most of the time five stars are kind of ready-made college athletes that's like man how many five stars redshirt because they're learning a position it looked sure. like maybe he was a little overrated. Like people mm -hmm. rated him as a five-star at defensive end. Maybe he would have been a four-star four guy had people known he was going to play on the offensive side of the ball. Flash forward a year, he's been excellent. He looks like a future NFL player, and he's allowed this Texas offense to be a little bit more dynamic than it would be otherwise. Yep. I'm going to rattle off some names because growing up, Texas was tight end university. 
You, you mentioned uh, Jeff Swain, the last guy drafted, right? Let's talk about Blaine Irby before him, before his injuries took over. He was a very in- uh, promising player. Bo Scaife, of course, Jermichael Finley, and David Thomas. Like, tight ends are Texas. And the fact that it's been a long time since they've had a tight end really emerge as a game-breaking player has been kind of unimaginable. <laughs> um, I know Herman also didn't utilize the tight end in different ways, so, like, it probably did, wasn't a, a factor for him a lot. I know Charlie Strong was probably similar. Still, the fact that we have gone this long without a tight end emerging from texas just like breaks my historical brain a little bit so he looks to be that guy <clears throat> moving on to our last actually yeah this is our last game um texas tech who kansas state 37 Texas tech 28 um i mean i mentioned it kansas state looks like they're one of the teams that could win the big 12 um i think we realizing that Tech's in that next category with Baylor, right? I think that that game's going to be very interesting to me um, and Lubbock. Joey McGuire after the game, very, you know, I can understand some people like looking at last week and then looking at the response this week and saying, oh man, what a missed opportunity. I don't know. I watched the press conference with Joey afterward and he wasn't too defeated after this one. He mentioned just the fact that he, his concern for his team was another bad start on the road that they had to overcome we meant that happened against nc state and that's gonna it's gonna continue happening because you know they play i don't know i think their next game's on the road too um but regardless that is the concern right you play a team that you know is going to come out firing on all cylinders after last week beating oklahoma and they did and you couldn't stop them uh adrian martinez was just destroying everything he was incredible yeah they play at Stillwater next week so that's going to kind of continue um I don't want to say it like it deflates Tech's hype or anything but you know it just kind of reminds them where they kind of are in the pecking order they're a good team a well-coached team that's going to knock some people off and probably if you play a well-coached team like Kansas State that's a very sound very fundamental well-coached probably not going to beat them because they're not going to make mistakes yeah, I mean, I think Texas Tech is ahead of schedule. There's a lot of people that yep. thought they'd be one and four right now with losses to Houston on the schedule. I think most people thought they'd at least to be two and four uh, with the loss to Texas there. They have eight turnovers in two road games. Yeah. Both losses. They yep. have four total turn four four total turnovers in three home games, three, three wins. And the one where they turned the ball over three times against Houston, it went into overtime. You know, so when they're playing clean football, they're beating people. Mm-hmm. When they're turning the ball over, they're not. And those turnovers have come against the, on the road. I think coincidentally, they've come against the best two defenses. I think some of it is just their road games just happen to be against the two teams that are the best at defense they've played so far. Had right. Kansas State or North Carolina State been home games, you know, do they also struggle? I, I don't know how much of it is the road, how much of it is the competition. Uh, Houston's been really down. Obviously, Texas is Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, Murray State's not all that good. So some of it's just how the, the schedule laid out. I don't know how much of it is getting on a plane is, is determining that or not determining that. Uh, but with Donovan Smith, this is what you get. You know, he kind of has some Spencer Sanders in him where mm-hmm. he's going to go, he's going to make some plays that they give you a chance to win that other quarterbacks on your roster just aren't going to do. He's also going to go make some plays that maybe cost you the game and put you in positions where you don't want to be on the road against good teams. You just can't afford those mistakes. Texas Tech is not good enough yet to get away with any of that kind of stuff. They have to play almost perfect, clean football to have a chance to win. What I will say positive for Texas Tech is they're not a team. They were down 13 nothing early in right. that game. Right. That's a game. We had talked about it last week, how Texas Tech's good for a one crushing blowout loss a year that makes you go like, oh, that's bad. Mm-hmm. This was it. Like this was the game that would have turned into that 70 to 30 type game the previous you know decade they marched right back and it was tied 13 13 at one point mm-hmm. you know and so uh, those kids have bought in they're playing really hard they're not quitting they're not getting blown out in ways that they used to when they face adversity early on however they're still not explosive enough to give up to have four turnovers and win on the road against a team who may be the big 12 favorite right now I was going to say, if anybody hasn't seen Kansas State yet, yet um, it's kind of fun. I, I wish this, I wish the Kansas-Kansas State game would be <laughs> earlier in the year because, like, both of these teams are running not similar offenses, but they're both winning. The style of offense that they're running is very much anti- 
kind of an, the antithesis to what we're kind of used to in college football, right? They're very much destroy you on the ground, inside zone, quarterback keeper. I think I think uh, Adrian Martinez finished with like 170 yards on the ground. <laughs> like, um, so he had, Colin, 75, again, he had 75 yards rushing in the first two plays. Right, exactly. So like him and Deuce Vaughn are just absolutely incredible. Um, again, we'll obviously see more of them as they play other Texas teams, but watching this game, I was like, I mean, that's what, this is what year three, four under Chris Kleiman. Like, yeah, it makes sense that they're this crisp. And if anything, I would watch, if I'm a Texas Tech fan, I'll watch Kansas State, and obviously not the style of play is not going to be similar, but just watch how crisp they are because you've hired a coach. I know Kleiman was successful with FCS, or uh, and, and so you're kind of like, it's not the same. But the overall thing that he does is he is somebody who's going to have your team disciplined, have your team game planned, have your team schemed in whatever they run. And you're going to look good, right? Kansas State has, it, since getting under Chris Kleiman, has looked solid. They've looked, they're always going to be that solid team. And if you're Texas Tech, it's kind of what you hope for. You kind of hope to be a team that is, if you play a perfect game, you're beating anybody in this conference, right? And I think that's something that Joey McGuire can work towards because he's already close. Like, they, they're, they're, they're a clean-ish team, right, aside from Donovan Smith. Um, you're a team that doesn't beat itself a lot. And aside from a road loss where you get down early and things like that, I think Kansas State, you look at Kansas State and you're like, okay, that's kind of a team, that's kind of a model of what I think you aspire to be when you hire a guy like Joey McGuire. Because um, he's not going to scheme you to death, but he's going to have everybody else ready to go for that week. So um, we'll see more of this Kansas State team because they're looking just absolutely crisp right now. And that weird loss to two lanes looking still very weird, but um <laughs> Yeah, uh, they got TCU in a couple weeks, so uh, yeah, that'll be. Oh no, sorry. Um, yeah, in a couple weeks, so that'll be very fun. TCU's gonna get Kansas and Kansas State in back-to-back weeks. All righty, that is that is it. We got Baylor, TCU, and AM. and I think it's safe to say TCU is gonna be the new top team in the Power Pool heading into this week. Yeah, not only are they the only undefeated team in the state, yeah. they're the only. Every other team in the FBS has at least two losses. There's not even a one-loss team, right? Like, it's a pretty middle-of-the-road year in the state. I think UTSA will emerge in Conference USA and run off some wins and have a decent record at the end of the year. But it's a pretty middle-of-the-road kind of just bowl-eligible type year in the state for everybody. Mm -hmm. And then TCU's 5-0. So just as as we all predicted, TCU, (laughs) Kansas, 5-0 going into week five. Yeah, game day. I I still can't believe it. Lawrence, Kansas. Finally. All right. Um, that'll do it for us. Um, I mean, yeah, we'll be back Wednesday. Like I said, uh, we won't have, of course, the SMU UCF recap. That'll be up on texasfootball.com. Uh, we'll be watching it, though. We'll be checking out what the hell happens there, because I have no idea how this affects everybody's prep. <laughs> like All of a sudden, you get like more days of prep work. Do you not overpractice? How do you not overprep? I don't know. I'm very fascinated to see how that game goes. Uh, it'll get the national spotlight, too. So I'm assuming a lot of people in the country will be just watching that one for fun. All right. That'll uh Craven, where are you at next week, by the way? Red River? Red River. Red River. All right. Don't make it, don't uh keep it simple, stupid. Don't overcomplicate things, even though that yeah. game's probably not gonna be great. I'm really curious to see who benefits from that. Because <laughs> if Oklahoma wins, Texas, what the hell? If Texas wins, <laughs> Oklahoma's in trouble. I go for the corn dogs and the atmosphere. You can't beat either one. Oh, yeah. No, that thing's going to be sold out, despite the fact that these two teams are probably middle of the pack in the Big 12. So, yeah, that's going to be actually that's a good that's a good point. When's the last time there's been like a least stakes, like the least amount of stakes in a in a in a Red River game? Last year wasn't very big either. That was, I, I don't, I think Oklahoma was still on that teetering of like, oh, they could still turn it around yeah. kind of thing. Like, yeah, both yeah, teams are just kind of like, eh. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you last time Oklahoma was 0 2 to start Big 12 play. Like, I, I don't, I don't really know when that happened. You know, I think Oklahoma's held up their end of the bargain there in terms of expectations over the last decade to where even when Texas has been struggling, it's kind of like, well, it's been like Oklahoma's playing for a national championship. Maybe Texas can upset them. Uh, this yeah. year, they both have those kind of middle-of-the-road expectations. So it's weird not having at least one of the team be, uh, be a conference kind of contender going into – you know, it's only week five, and we kind of consider both of those teams not Big 12 contenders. I think that says a lot about both programs. 
Yep. All right. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. Um, and with that being said, we have interviewed 12 of the eventual 13 future FBS head coaches. Shout out Sam Houston for winning the last Piney Woods as well. Craven and Corey Hogue will go in depth on that. We want to give that the proper kiss into the wind goodbye as it deserves because hell of a game. So please be on the lookout for that drop. I'm sure you guys will nerd out on that game because it was incredible. If you haven't read Craven's story on it, go check it out. Um, that deserves a podcast in and of itself. So we're going to give it to you with that small college show. Um, but with that being said, Jimbo Fisher, we have some names you might want to learn that we can suggest for <laughs> yeah. that play call. That'd be great. He could call us and then we can just be like a brainstorming session. <laughs> exactly. You know, so what please. do you like? What do you don't like? You know, let's, right. Let's, exactly. We'll, we'll play matchmaker. There's Call a guy in San we'll Antonio and GJ Kinney. He's yeah. a good recruiter too. You can, yeah. Listen, stay away from Will Stein. Stay away from <laughs> No, actually go get Will Stein. Um, <laughs> with that being said, please Jimbo Fisher, give us a call. We'll talk to you guys later. Go Rutgers. <laughs>